thank you, Father, for a great privilege to be a part of your body and a part of your family. And though for some it's grown old and weary and tiring, for others, Lord, they're so privileged and they're so excited to be a part of your household. So I pray for those who are weary and tired, worn at your joy, would begin to increase inside of them. They begin to understand what you called them into. That this isn't a religion and it isn't something that we buy a membership card for. It's, it's the calling of the Most High God upon the sons of men and the daughters that he's raising up for a purpose. Something more than just to go to church. Something more than just to exist. And that something more is your love. So we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to fill every heart, every ear. That their hearts would burn within them as you walk with them on the road of their life, Father. And they would lay aside the things that keep them from you. Make my words like fire. May they come from the throne of God. We love you. We bless you. We thank you in Jesus' holy, precious, wonderful, awesome name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. I'm really proud of y'all. Y'all are blessing the Lord very well. Gosh, I'm proud of them. They do good? They do good. They do good. The Lord's good in them. Welcome, guys. Hey, guys. Y'all snuck in on me. Hope everybody's well, huh? A couple of announcements real quick uh, before we get started. Uh, one, I want to reiterate. Well, first of all, if you have children, you want to send them back to Children's Church, you can. If you want to hold them with you, that's totally fine, too. We love babies. We love kids. We don't care if they make messes or they're loud. Um, so that's just the way it is here. So we think they're a blessing. So anyway, you feel free to send them back or keep them here either way. Um, also, to reiterate, those of you who are new, um, we really would like you to come. Uh, experience our home groups. Uh, this is where we feel that the community comes together, the body comes together, and this is where we have uh, fellowship with one another. The teaching in the first century church was very specific, and it says they met and they uh, broke bread together daily. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, they gave themselves to prayer, and uh, that's what we try to do. And so when we have our home groups, we meet together, we have life together. It's more than just outside of church. Um, church is good, and, but you understand church is not a moment on Sunday. The church is a body. It's a people. And so we encourage you to, to connect because without the body of Christ, you cannot grow. You can only grow so far in your personal relationship with Jesus without others. If your personal Jesus, relationship with Jesus was enough, then you would be the only one that Jesus would talk about. He never would have referenced the body of Christ because you're connected to other people. And so um, those people give you the opportunity to grow and learn, and um, we welcome you to be a part of that with us. So uh, this Monday, um, it's at Tyler and uh, Lindsay's house, and it's at uh, 14 450 Highway 396. Thank you. Um, we start at 6 o'clock. We eat. We fellowship. We hang out. Sometimes we worship. Sometimes we don't. So we share about the Word. We share about each other's lives. We pray for one another. And uh, we really feel like um, it's something important. How many of you guys that come to Homework Group are blessed when um, you come? 
Um, it's always different. It's always awesome. Somebody always has something good. I mean, some, sometimes we're all plastered out on the floor just crying before the Lord. Sometimes we just laugh and have fun. So be a part of the body. Don't just come on Sundays because Sunday's easy. You can wear a mask. You can take it off. And uh, that's, not your, that's not your reality. All right? So don't exist in something false. Amen? Uh, before we go on real quick, Ethan, come on, bro. This guy's pretty awesome. I wanted him to share something um, that uh, happened to him. And so you guys just uh, be blessed by his, his, his word here. Hey, guys. How are you? Uh, I just wanted to share. Uh, I mean, it's pretty known that like God is obsessed with us, each and every one of us. And he loves us very dearly. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's us. It's hard for us to understand that sometimes. I mean, we go on our own lives, and we don't see how obsessed and how in love with each and every one of us he is. But the thing about God that I've realized, he's waiting on us to take that first step 99% of the time. And it doesn't have to be some big event. It just has to be us taking the first step. And for some of you, that might just be coming here today for your first time. And uh, it's just, it's amazing after you take that first step, how much he guides you. Because he, like in the song, he just wants us to seek him and to seek him and send up. So... I just encourage you guys that if that's on your heart, just take that first step because it gets easier. There's a lot of people here. So he then gave his heart to the Lord again the other day, and uh, he's doing good. So y'all pray for him. He's doing awesome. You keep preaching like that, you're going to put me out of a job, bro. It's okay, though. That's my goal. Work myself out of a position. Every pastor should have that heart because uh, it's not about what goes on up here. You are the strength of the body of Christ. All I do is try to light a fire underneath you. That's my job. You are the army, okay? I'm just a big mouth. That's all I am. All right. So um, also, those of you young people who, who don't have a place to go or, or hang out with people, um, Thursday night we have a young adult group. Um, we, we do that every week. Um, it's uh, Rebecca's house. You can wave your hand back here, Rebecca, if you're interested in um, getting part of that. Um, you guys just get with her and come hang out with young, young adults and learn and do what you do, right? I'm too old. They won't let me come anymore. So, all right. So turn, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go to verse 24. I want to share some things on my heart. First of all, if you haven't been here the last two or three, four weeks, I encourage you to go to either Facebook and look up Proclaiming Jesus or go to ProclaimingJesus.com and listen to the last three or four messages we've been preaching on. I am laying a foundation that I feel like is very important for this day and time. I feel like Christianity is just nothing more anymore than just a random string of events that we call church. And it gets very disheartening, discouraging, sometimes confusing about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we have so many problems, trials, tribulations, struggles, sufferings, all these types of things. Nobody lays context to that. We just say, just have faith, brother. You'll get through it. And then we get through it. And then we don't feel like we have any more value or, or, or energy. And it just seems to be like this treadmill, right? You guys ever been there in Christianity? It's like, why am I doing this? You know? And uh, there's a reason for that. But I, I wanted to lay the foundation of why and the purposes of what God is doing and why he called you into Christianity in the first place. If you uh, haven't listened to those, go back and listen to those. They're available at any point. Uh, if you don't get those, Christianity is never going to make sense for you. Okay? In fact, Christianity is something of a term that the world came up with because they couldn't define the reality of God in people. God calls you sons. God doesn't call you a Christian. Just a small recap. God isn't a Christian. Jesus isn't a Christian. He's a son. 
And that's what God made you to be, is a son. That's both feminine and masculine, right? I say this all the time, but if men can be the bride of Christ, then women can be sons. It's okay, right? We don't have to be so incessant about gender everythings, okay? There is no male or female in Christ. We're made in the image of Jesus, amen? Okay, did you guys make the Genesis? I want to begin to unfold for you some things into sonship. This is why I'm going past uh, or, or, or forward from where I was a few weeks back. Uh, the last two messages were foundational messages to sonship and why God has called us to be sons, but also I want to lay the reality of what it means to be a son and how we're supposed to walk that out, but also the accountability that comes with sonship. It's one thing just to say and raise your hands that I'm a son of God, but it's another thing to live as one. Jesus was different, not because he preached a different message, but because he was the message he preached. This is the difference. He was the substance of the word of God. He wasn't just a big mouth speaking it. He became flesh because that's what he was. The word became flesh. And this is exactly what happens when you get born again, is that the word of God inside of you becomes a part of you. It once again becomes flesh inside of you. Amen? This is what it means to become a son. You have the spiritual DNA. It says even, it says even in, in, in Paul's letters, he says that we have received uh, not only his spirit, but also his seed. You understand that? That we are born of God. When he comes inside of us, he makes us one with himself. No separation, but it also means that we have to grow because the standard is Jesus, how it went with Jesus, so it must go with ourselves. If Jesus came in as a baby, it was indicative and prophetic that the word of God comes in small form and then it must transfer into maturity. It must grow over time. Amen. If you see someone who's involved in Christianity for 7, 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 years and they haven't grown at all, I doubt whether they're a son. They may be a Christian, but I doubt whether they're a son. Because sons bear certain traits that Christians know nothing about. Sons bear certain realities that Christians can't even uh, hope to get except for to pray in distance, hoping God's going to answer those prayers. I say this all the time as well, that, that sons possess the things that Christianities pursue. They naturally possess the things that Christians are praying for. Sons don't have to pray for the fruits of the Spirit. I, I see this all the time. People say, well, I just, I'm praying for patience. Why would you have to pray for something you've already been given? Why would you have to pray for something that's already been impregnated inside of you? No, you don't need to pray for patience. You need to pray that you would fall more in love with God because love is patient. And when you connect with the God inside of you and the God that's out there and the God that's in the word, then patience just naturally comes. Why? Because you're a son. You with me? So many things that we take into Christianity, and this is where Christianity gets it so wrong, is that we are so obsessed with the salvific message that we basically, once we get somebody saved, we don't know where to take them past that point. We just leave them right there. And we just tell them, well, you have to just trust the Lord. What does that mean? They don't know. And most of the time, we don't either. Basically, what that means in modern day sense is, is that you just put your chin down and you just barrel through it. You wait for something to change and you hope it changes. And if it doesn't, well, then you just keep trusting the Lord and nothing changes. But half the time, things don't change because we're not operating in our own reality. When a son doesn't operate in the DNA in which it's been given, then it creates chaos. You with me? If you keep something from natural origin, something begins to die. 
So we have to rectify this thing more, more into Christianity more than just being saved. What happens after salvation? What is salvation? Salvation is the intention of God to birth his family once again in purity, away from the chaos we formerly possessed. That's what it means to be saved. To come into God's reality. Not to be saved from hell, but to be saved from ourselves, the old man. Coming into new power and new life. That's what it means to be saved. To be saved is to be one with God, is to be like God, is to be with God. No longer separate. Does that make sense? And once you come into that reality, it has to grow. If you're not growing, then I I question your salvific experience. You understand that salvation is not an emotion. It's not something that, that, it's not an event that happens to you. Salvation is a complete rebirth. Do you know that that can happen with or without emotion? I've seen people get born again and never shed a tear. And they were completely changed after that moment. And I've also seen people come to this altar and belly sob and walk out twice the child of hell that they were when they came in. What does it mean? See, people say, well, God touched me so many years ago. Well, that doesn't mean anything. God touches heathens, he touches Christians, he touches all kinds of people because he's merciful. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That rain is the presence and the mercy of God. Just because you've had an experience with Yahweh doesn't mean you've surrendered to him. Does that make sense? So sometimes the presence of God is sometimes the most deceiving thing that can happen to a believer or a quote-unquote believer because they, they feel like the presence of God condones their life. No, the presence of God comes to your life to pull you out of what you're condoning. It's trying to, so it's, by goodness, he's trying to pull you away from the things you've made yourself one with. Why? Because the DNA he placed inside of you should not be joined to what you're joining it to. You, you with me? Okay, we just ran straight out of the gate. Right? That wasn't my intention, but that's okay. That's, we need to understand God's intention because when we, when we miss the intention of God, we have no purpose as men or women, mankind. You with me? We have no purpose. Most of the people who are Christians have no clue what their purpose is. They think their purpose is just to live holy and make it through the week without sitting. If that's your purpose then your entire vision and focus is never on Jesus. It's only on you. And you become your own idol. Your own Christianity becomes your own idol. Because all you're obsessed with is using God as a tool to get yourself into a position where you finally feel comfortable in your own skin. And that's not why he exists. He exists for his glory and his power. To be seen through men. Not so that we can micromanage our flesh and begin to put down certain things. Those things are supposed to happen anyway. The cross is a daily thing. When you recognize something inside of your DNA that's not like Christ, you take it to the cross and you nail it there by faith. And you praise God that it's dead and you get up and you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God and you move forward. Because that's what sons do. So when God made sons, what he did is he extended his family. Why did he do that? Because the family has a business. It's called the kingdom of God. And when he brings sons into his family, into his kingdom, and he rescues us from the orphanage of sin, then he expects us to work ourselves up into him, not in salvation, but in the sense of growing so that we can expand the family business. 
Sons just naturally expand the family business. Look at Jesus as the transformation power of of what a son goes through. Even in his miracles, they were progressive. They grew in power. We see what Jesus began to do even at the beginning of his ministry was so much better at the end of his ministry. Why? Because he, like us as a human being, has to grow. He didn't start just raising the dead right off the bat, did he? No, he started with the inanimate objects and he worked life into them, and then he turned his attention to the animate objects, us. And then he worked life into us. He turned water into wine, right? That's an inanimate. And then he begins to heal the animate people. His miracles grow because that's what sons do. Does this make sense? The intention of God, what is it? It's not just to expand his family, though that's, that's part of it. It's to demonstrate the kingdom of God in and around the world so that other people can see the light of the world world through us and that they can come to know Jesus through us and become sons as well, expanding the kingdom into their reality. You with me? God has no grandchildren. You are supposed to replicate. That's what your job is. Your job, you were born to replicate. Even in the natural realm, we understand in Genesis that he says, well, be fruitful and multiply, fill the face of the earth, right? Did you guys make it to Genesis? Verse 24, chapter 1. You got that up there for me, Jacob? He does a good job. All you guys back there do awesome. And without those guys back there, this stuff doesn't happen. I mean, it's just the way it is. All right, so God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind. Isn't that amazing? You're like, wait a minute, I'm not there yet with you. Hold on, I'm trying. Right? God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. Amazing. When God says something, he believes it should happen. When God says something, he believes creation should respond. Why? Because in the, in the beginning it did. Why, does, why, why when God speaks today to Christians, they don't respond as much as creation did? Why is the wind and the waves more obedient to Jesus than the disciples are? Why is that? Next verse. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. In other words, something replicates something it looks like. The being replicates itself. Whether it's a cow to a cow, a fish to a fish, horses don't breed sharks, it just doesn't work that way. Everything according to its kind. You with me? When you begin to screw with that and you begin to mess with that and you begin to uh, walk outside of the intention, then what happens? Nothing works. You may be able to create, create something, but you create something sterile. You create something that is prone to disease and sickness. I'm not sure exactly how it works on which way around it is. I think it's like a, a, whore, a female horse with a male donkey that creates a mule. Am I right on that? Or is it the other way around? It creates a mule. Right? But a mule can't create a mule. Because it falls outside of the order of God. You with me? 
And when you breed yourself to sin or the old man in your head, in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, and everything that you're doing, you begin to hybridize Jesus, the sonship life inside of you with the old man, and then you become sterile. Because God intends for sons to procreate. And I don't mean just in families with kids. I mean by disciples. This is why when Jesus said, go and teach all nations, that word teach means disciple them. Be with them. Live life with them. Show them how to be a son. I've taught you how to be a son. Now you teach them how to be a son. You're you're the standard now is what Jesus was saying. You're the standard and do you, know, do you know that whatever, what we are is what we, what we create? How many of you end up looking at your kids as they grow up and you go, my God, they're, look, they're just like me. <laughs> sometimes you're happy about that. Sometimes you're not so happy about that. You understand? I, I notice all the, some of the traits that I had as a child in my kids. Some of them I wish they didn't have to deal with because it's going to be difficult for them to walk through those things. Why? Because like creates like. God believes that what he makes is supposed to make something identical, right? So when he makes us a son, what is he expecting? Not nominal Christianity. He's expecting another son because that's what he believes should happen. He knows should happen because in creation in the beginning, that thing, that creative substance began to obey the word of God. He says, and God saw this procreation. God saw this extension, this replication, and it was good. Everything according to its kind. You with me? You re- I'm going to jump ahead just for a second, but you guys realize that the, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you'll travel the entire world to make one disciple, and you make him twice the child of hell that you are. Even the religious spirit knows it should replicate more than the Christians do. Here's the thing about replication. is It's always multiplied. If it's in sin, it's multiplied. If it's in righteousness, it's multiplied. You ever wonder why our country is the way it is? It's because somewhere back in the 30s and 40s, somebody produced a bad generation. But it wasn't that bad. But then that generation produced the worst generation. But it wasn't that bad. And then they produced the worst generation. And it got a little bad. And then they produced another generation and it's getting worse. And they produced another generation and now you can't even control your kids. Why? Because when God blesses something... He doesn't take the blessing back. And if you're operating the flesh, Jesus says, what gives birth to the flesh is flesh. What gives birth to the spirit is spirit. In other words, who you become and what you are is what you replicate. Well, I'm a Christian. The status, the order, the submission, the obedience of your Christianity is what you'll replicate in others. Or not replicate at all. Because we think Christianity is about us. We think it's about our moral purity or our moral, moral this or moral that. You know what? You know why Jesus sanctified himself? Not for himself. I think somewhere in John 17, somewhere up in that area, he says, for their sake, I sanctify myself. Why, why was Jesus pursuant of moral, morality and holiness as a human being? 
so he could feel like a good Christian and check all the dots and boxes and everything about what he's supposed to be as a human being? No, it was for us. You know why you stay pure and holy throughout the week? It's not so that you can not feel bad about yourself when you finally come to church. It's because you, your life is going to bleed on somebody. And we, we've forgotten that. We've, we think our Christianity is about ourselves. We think it's about our week and our hope and our money and our this and our that. But you don't realize that, that what you become is what you release. And your sphere of influence, you will release it. We all know this, right? Jobs, marriage, whatever it is. Somebody comes in, slams the door, starts throwing stuff around. What happens? Immediately, everybody's in a bad mood. Why? Because it's not about you know, energy or this or that. It's about you replicating because that's what we do naturally. What are you replicating? Jesus replicated truth and life. Because that's what sons do. Right? And they grow. You understand? So creation replicates what God originally intended. What does it mean to be a son? It means to step into the reality of God and replicate the things of God into the earth. It doesn't mean be a Christian and show up for church once a week and then go live your life. That is not why he shed his blood. His blood is way more valuable than just to get you through your week. It has a plan, a purpose, an agenda that involves your life. And if you don't involve your life in that blood to which you claim, you will face that blood on the final day, and it will not be a pretty moment. Because to claim to be born by the blood of God and then exist and operate outside of the DNA of that blood makes you a rebel. Because he believes in the power of his blood. He believes in the power of his word. When he spoke, creation obeyed. He speaks now and the church doesn't listen. Because we're too consumed with our, our theology and our selfishness or whatever it might be. Do you understand when chaos entered? This was a perfect picture. Everything operating according to, to the structure of the Almighty. And then what happens? We get involved. Can you go, go to Genesis 3? Verse 17, sons replicate. That's what they do. I like the way Curry Blake says it. He says, if your gospel's not touching others, your gospel's never touched you. All right, look, he says, to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree which I've commanded you, you don't eat of it. Curses the ground for your sake. Toil. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Next verse. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. You'll eat the herb of the field. Next verse. The sweat of your face you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are. Dust you'll return. Notice that before we got involved, there was no thorns. There was no thistles. There was nothing negative. There was nothing harsh. There was nothing difficult. There was nothing... It just brought forth life. Everything brought forth life. The moment we stick our nose into something and start trying to improve upon God's plan by becoming like him without him, then death enters the picture. Did you hear what I just said? That's what Christianity does. They try to become like God without God. The devil comes and says, you'll be like Jesus. See, Adam and Eve, they get a bad rap in some sake because everybody think, oh, they were just sinners and they just they screwed up. No, they, do you know why they screwed up? They screwed up because they wanted to be like God. 
They didn't want to be God. They saw how beautiful and holy and powerful and lovely he was. And they walked with him every day, maybe for a thousand years before this point. We don't know the time frame of how long they were there before they ate that fruit. But nonetheless, then a voice comes in their head and says, you'll be like the one you love if you just do this. And that's what works in morality and religion do. You'll be like God if you can just act like this. You can't act like God without God. It takes the DNA of God to work the works of God. And it takes time and growth to be able to work in the anointing of God. Just because you get saved and you're starting to grow doesn't mean you have an anointing anymore right off the bat. You have a testimony, yes. But anointing costs something. Anointing is not free. Anointing doesn't come by grace. Anointing doesn't come just because you ask for it. Anointing comes because you begin to suffer where every other Christian makes excuses. You begin to embrace things that everybody else says, well, you don't have to be like that. Because Jesus did it all. No, because he did it all, I want to do that. You with me? Because that's what sons do. And they suffer and they walk and they bleed and they cry and they pray and they fast and they seek God and they get a vision for somebody else's life other than their own. They begin to pray for somebody other than their own family. They begin to weep for God to be in touch nations that they don't even realize exist. They, they've never been there. But God gives them a heart. And they begin to operate like Jesus. They begin to pray for others. Their whole life they realize that I have to live Monday through Saturday this way. Not so that I can feel good about myself. But because my friends and my family need me to live this life. Because I'm going to replicate one way or the other. If you have chaos in your home and fighting and contention, you know why it's there? Because that's what you're sowing. You're sowing those things and then you're surprised when you reap them. And then you, you want to just blame somebody else for them being there. No. If you were as right as you thought you were, then you would be reaping a good harvest. You say, you're a hard preacher. No, no, no. Jesus is a much harder preacher. I'm just telling you what he said. Listen, salvation is free. But working as a son is not. It'll cost you your life. And here's how he'll know who loves him. Those who stand before him on the final day, they will have no life left to offer because they left everything on the table here. Well done. Jesus left everything here for us. Amen? The earth was cursed. What are we made of? Dirt. All of a sudden, thorns begin to grow. You see that in your life? You know, you prick other people? Well, that's what happens when thorns grow. People try to grab hold of your life, and then you hurt them. It wasn't the intention of God, but you know what? Thorns replicate thorns that's what they replicate y'all gonna make me preach long I'm telling you it's your fault as long as we're in Genesis and we're going that direction I'll just stay with it for a minute it wasn't the serpent it was so and so right that's what we do is blame everybody else amen that's not what we should do but that's what we do Ephesians 6, you don't have to turn there. Verse 14 talks about the armor of God. He says, let your loins be girded about with what? Truth. Why? Because that's the place we replicate from. 
What is truth? It's not a correct statement. He's a spirit. He has a name. He's called Holy Spirit, not foul spirit or mean spirit or bad spirit or oppressed spirit or depressed spirit or confused spirit or angry spirit. He's Holy Spirit. And he's the spirit you were born by. Why? Because God replicates by his spirit. Holiness. You were born again by the spirit of truth. And he expects us to replicate by that same spirit. Not the spirit of the age. Not the spirit of the world. Not the spirit of rejection. Not the spirit of oppression. But by the Holy Spirit of God. We birth others. Because that's what God believes we can do. Do you realize in your new nature. Some of you are going to have a hard time swallowing this. In your new nature God believes you can do anything. But in your old nature, he knows nothing is is possible for you. Nothing is possible for your old man except for to produce more, more thorns and more thistles and more briars and more death. This is why we put to death the old man. This is why we come into new life. This is why we live in the spirit of truth. This is why when it's hard, we press into the gospel. We, com- we develop a community around us, want to challenge us and shape us and saying, you've got this. Lay down the old man. Get rid of that thinking. I know you feel it, but feelings will change. In a minute, he'll show up if you believe. You try to do this thing on your own, you will fail. Y'all bored? Okay, I'm going to have to like make this two parts. Y'all are taking too long for me to get through this. Let's, let's, let's go to Matthew 25. Yep, Matthew 25, verse 20. You guys know the story of the, ten, the, the guys with the talents, right? Jesus comes and gives them something, and he expects something back from them. See, he gave you a life. He gave you a wife. He gave you kids. He gave you a job. He gave you something. He gave you an existence, a purpose. He gave you all those things. What are you doing with it? Most Christians spend it and live it and consume it upon themselves. But you realize he gave you those things to be a blessing to That's not how we live. Yet we claim to be born of the spirit of the giver, right? God so loved the world, he gave. Why, it's the DNA of God to give. And then we're born of his spirit, right? We claim to be sons, we claim to be Christians, but we're not giving. Big problem. That's either blatant rebellion or you're not born again. You know what I believe? I believe that 90% of the church of Jesus Christ needs to get saved. I actually believe that. I believe that just because you had an experience with God does not mean you are born again. Because born again, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, look, see, all things have become new. If new hasn't come to your life, then you don't know, Father. You just had an experience. Listen, pigs can get wet, but they run right back to the mud. But when he makes you a sheep, you naturally stay away from the things you were attracted to before. Because your nature is different. You no longer bear the desire of sin. And if sin is still present in your life, you despise it. You hate it. You kill it. You try. You fast. You pray. You get help. You confess it. You, you slaughter it. You make war against it. You with me? Yes. So this guy receives five talents. We always focus on the guy who receives the one. You guys know the story. The guy who receives the one goes to hell. Bottom line, receive something from God. I have something from the Lord. See, here's my insulation against your conviction, preacher. God has given me something. Get off my back. Stay away from me. My walls are up. I've got my talent. Big deal, right? Big deal. Doesn't matter to me. What matters is replication. Do you replicate? Do you turn it into something more than for yourself? Why? Because one is for you. 
The rest is for others. True or not? So he says to this guy who has five, he came and he looks at it and he says, Lord, you gave me five talents. I've gained five more besides them. Next verse. He says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. He's going to make him now ruler over other people, other things. Do you realize your life in heaven is going to be ruled by somebody other than Jesus? Oh, yeah, he's the king, yes. But you know there's governments set up there. People who sacrifice their lives for the gospel and for Jesus, they're going to be given kingdoms to rule over, cities to rule over. And you're going to have somebody you're going to have to answer to in those cities because heaven isn't going to be some stupid cloud-floating, heart-playing thing. It's going to be just like this earth without the sin. More colors, more green, more this. Notes and songs we've never heard before. Uh, uh, melodies that we've never even knew existed. But it's going to be just like this life. You're going to have things to do. You're going to have places to go. You're going to have people to see. But there will be governors and rulers just like this earth is. With me. Heaven's not going to be a boring place. God couldn't fit the fullness of heaven in this earth, so he shaped it down a little bit and gave us just a little taste. And he says, this is what it's going to be like. Imagine it without all the sin and the depression and the death and sickness and, he- and fear. Hanging out with one another, loving one another, laughing with one another, having coffee with one another. I don't know if there's wine in heaven, there's coffee. I'm sure there is. Eyes not seen nor ears heard, right? What the Lord's prepared for those who love him. I like coffee. I think it'll be there. You can thank me when you get there. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for praying that that would be here. That's pretty awesome. And he says, look, well done. Enter the joy of your Lord. Isn't that interesting? Let me, let me show you something here. The fulfillment of our purpose is the increase of our joy. This guy worked. He received the five for free, true or not. And then he worked for the other five, true or not. And because he worked, because that's what our, that's what our job is, Jesus says this, my father works up to this point, and I see him do what I only do what I see him do. He's working up to this point, so so will I. Sons work. That's what they do. They don't just work jobs, they work the kingdom, they work the gospel, they work to get people saved, they work, they pray, they seek God, they work. And they get the other five, right, because when you follow the purpose of God, you get the joy of God. If you exist outside of your purpose, you have no joy. God created you to work for Him, i.e. when you work for the world, you have no joy. You have no peace. When you only exist to satisfy the IRS, your life is meaningless. He gave you what he gave you to expand the kingdom because that's what sons do. They replicate. But when we begin to live for another order, another kingdom, another rule, then life ceases to make sense. And then chaos comes in and then we bow before other things. We create graven images because if we can't obey the creator as the one who had the inception for all this, then we're going to satisfy ourselves with something less and create a different inception. This is why the Bible says in, in Exodus 20, no other gods before me. Why? Because God you know, just doesn't want you worshiping other things? No, because if you change the image of the creator, you're going to change the image of your destiny. If you change what he looks like, then you change what you look like. Because you're made in his image. If you change who he is, then you change who you are. 
And he's so jealous of how he made us in his image. He wants us to operate the way he operates, to live the way he lives, to look like what he looks like. And that's why he sent his son as the example, to wipe the slate clean. Because you realize at this point in your life, you have sowed a ton of negative seed, worldly seed, selfish seed, sinful seed in your life. And I'm telling you, Jesus came to wipe all that out and give you a clean slate so that he is that seed in your life. I see people right now, right now in my life, who are reaping consequences of seed they sowed 20 years ago. And they're wondering why things are falling apart. You know why? Because they don't remember the sin, but guess what? The devil does. And once you plant certain things, guys, I don't care if you get saved or not, you have to go through the process of harvesting that. See, everybody thinks, oh, well, the grace of the Lord Jesus got me saved. Yeah, but he doesn't wipe away your consequences. You sow bad seed, you get bad seed. So I don't know if I believe in that. Well, you know what? If you go eat McDonald's for four times a day for the next four years and you put on 300 pounds and then you get born again and get convicted of the sin of gluttony, which is a New Testament sin, by the way, and you get saved at the altar, that 300 pounds doesn't just come right off, does it? Because there's consequences to disobeying the word of God. Sow good seed. Why? Because good seed produces what? Good seed, kind after kind, right? Multiplication, replication. In the beginning, God created these things so that they would replicate according to their kind. That's the order of God. You're a son. If you don't make sons, then there's a problem. God believes that you are able to replicate. What you're replicating is your judgment or your praise. This makes sense to you? Oh my goodness, I'm only a quarter of the way through. This is a huge topic. If you think that, that this is just some sort, I'm pulling out just a few verses here. This is all the way through the scriptures. Think of how many parables I don't have time to get into about Jesus talking about uh, seeds and crops and trees and fruit and all these types of things. Why? Because it bears the order and the intention of, of Yahweh. You can often go back to the beginning and find out his intention for the end. What we started in is what we're supposed to finish with. He's the author, he's the finisher. Why? Because that's what he does. What we do in the meantime either hinders or releases him. You know, James 2, right? Faith without works is what? Dead. Why? Because sons work. That's what they do. They have faith. So they work. But the church got so scared of James chapter 2 that she went all the way to the other side and took the pendulum swing all the way to the other side that it's all by grace now. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. No. Grace gets you saved freely so that you can work by choice. Religion causes you to work for the salvation that's free. Sonship births you without your intention because that's what sons have. You ever had a baby and they come out, the first thing they say is, why did you make me? It doesn't happen. They don't get to choose to be made. Right? You desired them before they were present. Same thing with Abba. You don't get to decide to be here. Now, once you're here, though, you get to decide what you do with the gift you've been given. You get to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. We don't like that part. We want to just come to church and, tell, and have the pastor tell us you're good because you got saved. You're good. You're okay. You're, you got saved. What big? For what? For him. For others. You are God's gift to this generation. And until you believe that, your life isn't going to make sense. You have got to get out of the negativity the devil's got into your head. Because some of you don't feel very valuable. But the cross showed you your value. You are God's gift to this generation. But, 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 and there's no buts. 
That's why there's no armor back there. Because we don't have to deal with that. All the armor is facing forward. You want to live your life facing backwards, you are against the order and the, and the armor of God. All Christians face their life backwards. That's why I have to have counseling sessions and this and that and identities that you place over yourself. Well, I'm this and I'm that and I've been diagnosed with this and I've been diagnosed with that. What about what heaven diagnosed you? I mean, what's wrong with believing in his reality? But I have these physical symptoms. That's just your body. Why don't you just agree with what he said about you? And if your body has symptoms, you just deal with them. But agree with what his diagnosis is. That way, when you get to heaven, even if he doesn't heal you, you still have the gift of believing in faith that you were healed even if you weren't. And it's still a crown. You with me? Because you're believing him, you're trusting him, you're identifying with the nature he put inside of you instead of the dead one that he came to crucify. Faith without works is dead. You don't work, you're not a son. You don't give, you're not a son. You show me somebody who's a taker, if they're a son, they're a technon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to go back and listen to last week's message, which most people I feel like missed, even those who were here. You have to grow. If you don't grow, things aren't going to make sense. One plus nothing equals, it just equals one. And if you live your whole life for that, that's not multiplication. One plus zero is one. And that's what we do. We live our whole life for us, for ourselves. We don't, you know, we're too scared to step out and talk to somebody at the Walmart line because what, what would they say? What about what your father would say? What about your, what your father is going to say? We, you, at the same time, you quote, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Oh, that's cute. Why don't you do something with that and believe it then and actually step beyond your fear and talk to somebody about Jesus? Amen. Well, no, I'm afraid. Well, I thought God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Oh, it's only good for you to, to quote it with people who already believe. I see. One plus zero is one. You know why you don't have joy? Because you're not multiplying. Enter the joy of the Lord. You know, who those, you know, those who are multiplying, they may go through hard stuff, but they're happy. They see they have purpose. Like, man, I, because, I, because I live, this guy's life is now forever changed. That's awesome. Oh, it's all of Jesus. No, Jesus is working through me. We're one. It's both of us. See, the religious spirit's like, well, it's all the Lord. Now, if it was all the Lord, he'd come do it himself. Don't come at me with that religious junk. God prayed in, in, in John 17 that we would be one. Jesus prayed that, that we'd be one. That doesn't mean separate and that, oh, it's only him. No, he's one with me now, so it's both of us. And he's okay. He says, I will not be ashamed to be called your God, and I will call you my son. Wow. That's amazing. And then you're walking around thinking that he's, he's displeased with you because of sin in your life. No, he's displeased when you don't believe the holiness he's already placed inside of you, and you don't deal with the sin with the holiness. Because you're identifying with something he's already crucified, therefore you're making his, his crucifixion of no, of no value to your life. You have holiness so that you can put the old man to death. You have righteousness so you can put those stinking thoughts in the grave. You have the DNA of God so that you can put to death the DNA of the old man. Why? Because somebody needs you to. Your kids need you to. Your wife needs you to. Your husband needs you to. You need to replicate something other than death. Because when we replicate, the double portion anointing is not just for, for the holiness of God. It's also for the world. Double portion exists. Why? Because God gave us his spirit, right? His spirit is the double portion. True or not? And so when his spirit came to this earth, it's on unbelievers and sinners alike. And, 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 and holy people alike. 
This is why when you replicate, you make yourself twice of what you were, either good or bad. Why? Because what happens when you have a tree that replicates, what happens? It creates thousands of seeds, thousands of seeds that have the potential to be just like it. Multiplication. It's either good or bad. What are you sowing? What are you producing? The Holy Spirit produces Jesus. The flesh produces the flesh. Sons naturally birth the things of the kingdom of heaven. That's what they do. With me? See, until Jesus, there was, no, there was nothing new ever created until Jesus. Nothing new. Everything in, 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 in life and under the, the label of sin and death, all replicated by its own kind. There was nothing new in this earth ever until Jesus showed up. He was the first new species God ever created since Genesis 3. Isn't that amazing? Nothing new was ever created. No new seed was put into this earth. All of it was replicating garbage and garbage and garbage. And then he sends one seed down to the earth. The Bible says in the Old Testament that he would be a root out of dry ground. He would be able to grow where we could not. He would be able to thrive where we could not. Exist where we could not. Expand and replicate and grow seed where we could not. Yeah. And now we're, we're grafted into that thing, according to Romans, right? We're placed into that new life. Every branch, what is it, John uh, 15. Every branch that doesn't abide in me and doesn't bear fruit, what is cut off? Why? Because when you're plugged into him by being saved, he believes you should replicate what he looks like. The most dangerous thing for some of you guys is to claim to be a Christian and not replicate the things of Jesus. Because the Bible says you will be cut off. Because God believes in the power of his life source flowing through him into you because you're connected to him. He believes you have the power to bear fruit and to bear seed. You see that most, most, most parents, they, they, they raise their children, they become twice the child of hell that they were. Well, I never did that when I was your kid. That's because you replicated darkness. It's because your kids are, are, are twice what you were, what you were in, the, in the past. You, know, you can't sit there and say, well, I never did that. When I, well, you, you understand, the double portion exists on both sides. You let one weed grow in your garden. One. Let it go to seed. Next year when you go to plant, well, you got a problem. You with me? All right. New creation, new seed, new harvest, new life, new fruit, new purpose, new destiny, new DA, new nature, new multiplication, new replication. This make sense? We have become ministers of reconciliation, the Bible says. Joint ministers of reconciliation with God, which means kind after kind. We, we replicate with Christ. That's your job. To bring others to the Lord. With me? You guys understand, I had to remind somebody of this before, because to me it's old news, it's stuff that I talked about, when people talked about when I was a kid, but most, I guess, I guess modern Christians, some of you don't know about it, but you understand the Dead Sea is dead for a reason, right? There's a Dead Sea over in Israel, and it's, it's dead, there's salt, there's nothing can live in it, there's no animals, there's no life, there's nothing, it's completely dead, it's, it's awesome water, you can get in it, you float, it's, it's got such a substance to it that you won't even sink, you don't, you don't just sit there, it's like you have a little inner tube around you. I was there, and I got in the water, and I was like, this is really weird. Just floating. Dead. You know why it's dead? Because it only receives, it never gives. 
Water comes in, fresh water comes in, fresh water comes in, fresh water comes in. 24 hours a day, fresh water comes in from the Jordan River, all in, 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 in. There's no outlet to it, so it just stagnates. You don't give, you kill the life of God inside of you. Why? Because the life of God is to give. This is why in churches, 20% of people do 80% of the work. The 80% aren't giving because they're dead. Because they don't have a vision. The 20% who are working are alive. They have a vision. They realize, I'm here. I'm in this thing. This is mine. This is not just you know, Chad's church. This is, I'm the church of Jesus Christ. I own this thing just as much as he does. I have an accountability factor just as much as he does. I'm in this thing with Abba, and I've got to do something about it. You with me? The cursed fig tree. I'm going to try to hurry and get it all in one. The cursed fig tree. You guys remember when Jesus comes out from cleansing the temple and he goes out and he saves this fig tree with all these nice green and everything on it, right? And he, and he sees no fruit on it. What's he do? He curses it. And, it. and they come back the next day and what happens? It's dead, completely dried up. And the disciples were like, what happened? Here, what was happening is that Jesus was giving a prophetic symbol. Because when you see the miracles of Jesus, you have to look at them as signs. And you have to look at what happens before and after to be able to properly interpret the the miracle. Okay? So what happened was he was coming out of the temple and he cleansed the temple. Why? Because the temple had a problem. It was full of sin. It was full of of replication of darkness, of selfishness, of, of monetary gain. It was all about the earth. It had nothing to do with heaven. He cleansed that. He came to see this tree. This tree represented the Jewish nation. This tree represents the old man this tree represents everything of us he looks at it it should have fruit on it what but it doesn't and the old man has a lot of life a lot of growth a lot of green you know why because it's that seed that jesus says gets cast out and lands in the thorns right it's dangerous to be that kind of seed why because you have growth in your life you have green in your life you have you have transference in your life you're like well i'm not that little seed anymore i've got green i've got this i've got that but then guess what you bear no fruit why don't you bear fruit because you're you're more concerned about the cares of the world than you are the cares of the kingdom of god because a son is only concerned about the kingdom of god because in matthew chapter 5 jesus says if you can take care or matthew 6 if you take care of my kingdom i'll take care of your kingdom He curses this fig tree and it dies. Why? One reason, because it has no fruit. Again, like I said, John 15, every every branch that doesn't bear fruit is cut off and cast in the fire. What's Jesus after? Fruit. With me? He said, how many of you want to glorify God? Because that's the purpose, right? John 15, 8. It's amazing. We miss all these verses. We miss the context. We miss the reality. We miss the concept. John 15, 8. Here is my Father glorified. And he tells us right here. This is how you glorify God. So you bear much fruit. And then you'll be my disciples. Do you realize the condition, the requirement for Jesus to call you a disciple is whether you bear fruit or not? Not whether you've been saved or not. Not whether you've had an experience or not, but whether you bear fruit or not. Are you replicating people like you? Are you making other disciples? Are you getting people saved? Are you working with them to let them know the master? Are you showing them the way of life of God in your life and doing it the way he did it? Because that's how he says we glorify God. We think that we're saved, we get to wear the shirt that says disciple. No. He says, you'll be my disciples when you bear fruit. Because then you're finally learning from me. Because that's what the word disciple means, is to learn. Right? He says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. I ordained you. Listen, you know what that means? He means he laid hands on you and gave you the authority and the power to what? Go preach the gospel in the nation? No, to bear fruit. 
You realize if you, you don't need a big ministry with speakers and, and a stage and, and getting everybody to come and come to your event. You know, what, you know what that looks like? Bearing fruit looks like? It means you being Jesus to the person you work with. You being Jesus to your spouse and to your kids. You being Jesus to whatever's around you in your life. So, so much so that they look at you and they go, why are you so happy? And you can say, because I'm not ruled by this life. You are. I live by a different order. You're depressed because you have no joy, because you missed your purpose. When we exist in our purpose, we have joy. When we replicate and we create more cities and more things for God to bless us with, he says, enter into joy. How many of you want joy? Replicate. Why? Because Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Amen? How do you want to glorify God? you got to bear fruit. I'm going to close with this, Luke 13, verse 6. I, I sped through all that last bit, okay? Just for y'all, because I know you got some sort of pot roast on, even though we want you to come to dinner, right? You need to stay with us and eat with us after you come here, and we'll let you eat first, okay? It's all right. Okay, John 13, 6, it says, He spoke this to a parable. He says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his garden, and he came and he sought fruit thereon, but he found none. And then he said to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I've come seeking fruit on this tree, and I don't find any. Cut it down. Why is it taking up space? And he answered and said to him, Lord, leave it alone this one more year, and I'll dig around it and dung it. And if it bears fruit, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. This is most Christians. You've got growth in your life. You've got an experience from which you call salvation. You've got something that happened in your life that you can look back to and say, this is when God touched me. This is when God did this in me. And you've got green and you're, you're different. You're not this dead stump anymore. Something of life came inside of you, but there's no fruit. You're not replicating. This is about you, your morality, your holiness, your this, your family, your money, your, 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 your taxes, your tithe, your life, your this. I mean, everything's about you. And, and, the, and, and Jesus is saying, look, if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to intercede for you on the, on the right hand of God. And I'm going to ask God, like, look, don't cut him out yet. Let me give a chance. Let me take a chance. Let me dig around it and dung it. Now, horticulturally speaking, what he's, what he's saying is this. If you take a tree, I know this because I do this. I used to do this for a living. But if you, if you take a tree that doesn't bear fruit and hasn't bore fruit in a long time, you take a shovel or a backhoe or something, depending on how big the tree is, and you begin to cut the roots. You begin to dig down and just cut the roots. Just with a shovel or, or some sort of big instrument, if it's a big tree, you begin to just you chop the roots. Just go at them. All the way around. And then you fertilize the mess out of it. And you water it. What that does is it shocks the tree. It's a very painful process for the, for the, for the tree. Something happens. It realizes, I'm going to die. Because you attacked the very core of life, the inner part of that thing. You can go cut a limb off that tree and it's not even faced. And this is what we do with addiction-based ministry. We want to cut off the addiction, right, and then not deal with the root. So then we've, we get them off of drugs and then they get saved, right, off of drugs. But the root of addiction is still there. So they go to cigarettes and alcohol and food. They're still addicted. Spirit of addiction. With me? Because we didn't deal with the root. So when you attack the root of the, of the, of the, of the nature of the thing, you begin to, it, it sends a signal to the rest of the tree. We're going to die. And the trees, a, a plant, a tree, anything, main job, their main job is to replicate fruit. 
That's their main job. You ever notice that when you, if you don't mow the grass, the guys that, hey, you don't mow your grass, and it goes like really tall before it seeds? You ever notice that? That may get really tall before it'll ever seed. Why? Because it has plenty of time. It's not threatened. There's nothing there. Uh, they know that it, everything's good. I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll produce fruit in the right season and the right time. What happens if you come and mow it? It'll start trying to grow about half the height that was before and start seeding about half the height that was before. Why? Because it realizes, wait a minute, we lost time, we lost energy, we lost effort, we've got to seed, we've got to seed. It's the nature, it's in, it's in the DNA of creation to replicate, replicate. And if you mow it before it has a chance to seed, what happens? It'll grow half the size of that, and it'll try to send up another stalk. And if you mow it again, pretty soon you've got this grass that's this tall, and it sends out this little bitty seed head. And it ain't very powerful, it ain't very strong, but it tries to let go of that seed as fast as it possibly can because its nature is to replicate. And we have Christians that won't even do the same. So Jesus says, Let, leave it alone for a minute. Let me work with it. You know what that looks like? It means you come into church and God touches you in worship. God touches you with the message. God touches you when you're at your altar time. And you feel the presence of God. That's not so that you can feel giddy inside. That is to pull you out of where you're at. That presence is given to you because he doesn't condone where you've been. His goodness is trying to draw you to repentance, to change how you think. That presence is not for you to sit there and just enjoy, like, oh, I just love it when the Holy Spirit comes, I feel all goosebumpy. That Spirit is there for one reason, because it's His goodness trying to draw you out of where you think is okay. The Spirit of God coming doesn't condone your life, it tries to pull you out of it. That when he blesses you with that presence, he's asking you to come up higher, to come into a deeper reality, to say, this is not about you. You've got to change some things in your life, and you have the power to change them. The only reason they're not changed is because you won't do it. And then you love your sin more than you love the creator who you say you are saved by. Some of you, stand. Some of you, the mercy of God is just hanging all over your life. I mean, he's been working with you for years and years and years. He's been digging around you. You know what that looks like? Hard times come into your life, difficult times, whether it's internal or external or both. Because you can have good times on the outside, but then want to commit suicide on the inside. <clears throat> difficult times where he's after the root in your life, and you realize something needs to change, something has to change, something has to give. He's digging those things out of you. Why? Because you're not bearing fruit. And he's concerned for you because he doesn't want you to stand before him on the final day not having anything to offer. And he's been fertilizing you and touching you and, and, and sending hard things to your life and difficult things to your life. Why? Because he's sadistic? No, because he cares about your eternal reality. And he knows that when you stand before the giver, the only thing you want to do is give. And if you have nothing to give, then you're going to have no moment of joy in that, in that last final hour. You with me? This doesn't mean you have to save the whole world. It just means you've got to get up and say, God, I don't want my life to be about me anymore. I don't know what to do, but I'm willing to do something. And if you'll help me, I will do something. You'll give me one person. If you, I promise you ask the Lord for one person, he'll give you one person. He will. Send one person to me. It may, it may not be the one you want, but he will send somebody to you. And if you begin to be faithful there and you begin to give there, then you're going to find out an interesting thing happens. You begin to grow. The teacher begins to learn itself because now you're forced to sanctify yourself throughout the week because you realize if I step into this kind of negative thinking, it's going to affect the relationship I have with this person I'm trying to disciple. 
I don't have the real, I don't have the liberty to live like this anymore. I don't have the liberty to act like I want to act and think like I want to think because they need me to be strong. They need me to be real. They need me to be holy. They need me to be something other than what I was and what I am. They need to see something or they're not going to believe in what I'm saying. And you make your life about somebody else's and you're going to be surprised at how the blessing of God begins to come to your life. And your joy is going to come back. And it's going to be hard and they're going to frustrate you. It's like raising kids. Making disciples is like raising kids. But it gives you a chance to have all the things that inside of you are selfish to be revealed. And you begin to say, God, take this out of me. Because if you don't take this out of me, I'm going to hurt somebody. And he'll take it out of you. You understand what I'm saying? If you're a son of God, you've got to grow. You've got to replicate. So just take a minute raise your hands. Just close your eyes. If this is you, say, Father, I'm sorry for making my life about myself. And I realize you came and gave me a new life so that I could give it to someone else. So I'm giving you my time, my heart, my mind, my money, whatever it takes to be able to bring glory to you because you said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You did not choose me, I chose you. And I ordained you that you might go forth and bear much fruit. So Father, bless these ones who you hear in their heart that want to step away from the standard things of this life and come into your reality, your purpose, that their joy would come back, their reason for living would change, that the suicidal thoughts would fall off their, head, off their minds, and that their power would restore and return. Their destiny and their purpose would, would, would come back. Bless your children. You touch them because you want to have them close to you, not because you're angry with them. We love you. We bless you. We thank you. We believe in faith this prayer over your life. In Jesus' name, we seal it with the blood of God. Amen.